The Walt Disney World Resort currently sits on 47 square miles of land in Orlando, Florida. Within that land, they have four theme parks, two water parks, 31 hotels, a giant shopping outlet, golf courses, a man-made lagoon, and more. And all of that stuff only takes up 7,100 acres out of the 30,000 that they currently own in Orlando. For reference, Disneyland, which was the Disney company's first theme park ever, only sits on 500 acres of land. One of those four theme parks in Walt Disney World is named Epcot. That is E-P-C-O-T. It was the second Disney park to open in Orlando and opened October 1st, 1982. People in the Disney community like to use the phrase, Walt would be rolling in his grave when anything at all changes in the parks. Well, I believe if he saw what Epcot turned out to be, he actually would be rolling in his grave. Now, I'm not saying that it's a bad park. It is loved dearly by many, and I personally can't imagine Disney World without it. But Walt didn't want another theme park. He had already successfully done that with Disneyland. He set his sights on something bigger, something that was going to change the world. He wanted to build an experimental prototype community of tomorrow, or Epcot. A city where real people actually lived, worked, and played while testing out the newest technologies for the rest of the world. A city where he had sole control over everything. He was so passionate about this project that he worked on it literally until the day he died. Today, I will be talking about Walt Disney and his obsession with building his community of tomorrow and what it actually turned out to be. Welcome to Strange Ride, where I tell the smartest man I know the weirdest things I know. My name is Savannah Verrett, and I'll be your guide today, but you're not the only ones going on this ride. We have Shannon Landers here. Hello! And then, of course, we have the smartest man I know, Rob C. Thompson of Occult Confessions fame. Hi there, Strange Ride listeners. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Newly dubbed Strange Ride listeners. Yes, we'll have to come up with a name for them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're uh, grateful you're here. Yes, because <laughs> this is a new thing, so pretty cool. Yeah, basically just taking uh, our occult confessions podcast and reversing it. So I thought it'd be fun to tell Rob about all the weird little things that I know. <laughs> and and I thought it'd be fun to not have to research podcast episodes. <laughs> and I'm here for moral support. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, entertainment too, Shannon. I hate to tell you, you're on the line. Aww. Yeah, you, you better say something amusing. I'll try. I mean, like now. <laughs> Get to it right now. Right now? Right now. This very moment. Oh. <laughs> that was good. Oh, 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 oh thanks. I, <laughs> is it too late to edit that out? <laughs> you see, like this is a little awkward for me because I thought I was the smartest man Savannah knew. And oh. then I, when she gave you the title, I was like, oh. Now Shannon's bringing oh, her A game. Not. It just took her a minute to warm up. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get started, too, I feel like I should come out and say it that um, I am a Disney adult, <laughs> but I like I like to say I'm a Disney adult light because like I don't it's not the only thing I talk about and I am willing to criticize the company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but, and this is not a show about Disney. I mean, today oh, is about Disney. Yes. But to clarify, Savannah's it's pop culture. We're talking about pop culture across the, the spectrum. Yes, any weird thing we want. The next episode that will be out will be about the uh, Spider-Man musical that almost right. killed a couple people. So. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> so not just amusement park stuff, but yeah. I do like amusement parks. So we will be talking Theme about parks, that. parks, video games, uh, Broadway. What's y- a good musical it. without a few murders, you know? That's right. fair. Sweeney <laughs> Todd is the best musical. Um, well, and also, I did want to say that like, even though... I say I'm a Disney adult light. I do have a Mickey Mouse balloon tattoo, 
and I go to Disney World probably once a year, so I think I'm qualified to talk about this topic. <laughs> and so, okay, here's the pledge. So for new listeners on Occult Confessions, we have a pledge that we do. So I figured that we should have one here too. Okay. So I solemnly commit myself to keep my hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the vehicle at all times while on this strange ride. All right, Shannon, are you ready oh, for it? God. I think I got it. Okay, I, I, I solemnly commit myself to keep my hands, hands arms, feet, feet, and legs inside, inside the vehicle, vehicle at all times while on this strange, while on ride. This strange <laughs> ride. Ride. Great. Oh, yeah. We had our hands up and everything. Yes, I did put my hands but we, I shouldn't. We shouldn't because they should be inside the vehicle. We shouldn't have been doing that. Oh. Mm. Well, you can raise them up. You just can't put them. Oh, you know. above us. Yeah, uh, they can go up. So we they roller can go coaster vertical, style. But they can't go horizontal. So for the whole episode, we should have both hands <laughs> above our heads. I, I mean, thought you were just trying to go for a high five. So. <laughs> you were. You were going to lunge across. Yeah, them. I was going to go for it. <laughs> this story does have a lot of crazy twists and turns, so you might want to hold on. Actually, buckle up. I want to say just today, I have a student who uh, got a job at Disney working as a a face or fur. Which sounds like a sex a thing, but it's not. A face character or a fur character. Right, which that's, means that's not a sex thing, that friends. A face character is a character you can see their face. A fur character is like Mickey and Minnie and stuff like that. So but no, not a sex thing. She's on the cast is what I'm trying yeah. to say, which is really cool. And I have carried a Disney credit card in my pocket for uh, my entire <laughs> adult life because Disney was the first, per- worst, like not Disney, like not Walt himself, but the Disney Corporation <laughs> were the first people to like offer me a line of credit when I was like 17 and a half. So they, they really jumped right in there. I haven't been to Disney World in a long time, but I have all these Disney bucks to spend because of this, this I mean, rewards card. If you don't want them, I'll take them. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I should hook you up. All right. So also, before we get started into the main story, it has come to my attention that there is some terminology in the Disney Parks community that not everyone knows. Oh, yeah, so, that would be yes. me. I would not know that. Shannon, <laughs> do you know the Disney terms? Maybe some of oh, them. Oh, quiz Shannon, you, quiz I Shannon. I know some of them. So, I mean, Disney's like sort of created its own little language when running theme parks. Let us guess, so, though. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so, number one, this is a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys know the difference between Disneyland and Disney World? Yes. One's in Go ahead, California. Yes, which uh, one's one? in Florida. Which yes. one's in California? Disneyland's in California? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Woo! And uh, Disney World is um, in Orlando and, like triple double thir- thruple the size of um of disneyland yeah the, the established mm-hmm. park like you said right then there's even more territory that they own outside yes of it. yeah and then number two do you know what an imagineer is is that someone who like works on like disney movies they or work the on the disney they invent new things culture. i know this because a roommate of mine in college wanted to be an imagineer he was insufferable <laughs> as a human being <laughs> But that was his dream. Oh, no. it, that was not the reason he was insufferable <laughs> as a human being. But yes, he his dream was to be an Imagineer. And then they discontinued the program, did they not? Like they no. used to have a Imagineers or do they still have intern Imagineers? I think oh, that I don't know about all that. There but... used to be a like a pipeline or something that they pulled up. Maybe they reestablished it. But I don't. Well, Imagineers have been like established since Disneyland, and but like... they're specifically for the theme parks, right? Or no. Yes. Is Shannon right there involved yes, in the movies at all? Yes, they're specifically for the theme parks. Okay. They design practically everything in the Disney parks, like including the attractions, parks themselves, resorts, the live entertainment. Yeah, basically everything you see inside of a Disney park was created by an Imagineer. And you're right, they are dedicated to Disney and to making like the newest technology for like live entertainment and stuff. Um, and then number three, 
do you know what the staff at all Disney parks are called? Hmm. I don't know. They are called cast members. So every single person Uh, that you see working at Disney is a cast member, not like the person picking up trash and our student who is about to be Tinkerbell. Both are cast members. Um, I like that's there's a there's an equity to that. Yeah. Trash man is not, you know, lower on the totem pole. If everybody gets to be a cast member, then. Yeah. And Walt's um, idea behind it was that like when you're in a Disney park, you're considered on stage and as a cast member you have to like perform your best self to help keep up the disney magic and how happy everything is and yeah yeah if you get whacked with the broom or something that wouldn't be good that would ruin your day with trash man just walking by sweeping up the cigarette butts <laughs> not allowed to smoke oh in yeah the disney well park. back in the day disney walked through yeah <laughs> Rob, the front gates with a Rob, cigar. do you normally get hit with brooms from trash men? Yeah, yeah. You, I go to some pretty dingy theme parks, oh. so yeah, I'm constantly getting whacked by the janitorial stuff. <laughs> Don't mess with the wrong trash <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I so... do stand very close to them, yeah, <laughs> just to see what'll happen. <laughs> Maybe this one will whack me. <laughs> yeah, they always do, every time they do. <laughs> but not at Disney World. <laughs> no? <laughs> Okay. I've been backstage at Disney World, too. I, I forgot to say that. I've been Ooh. backstage because I was in the marching band in high school, and we did, used to do these magic music things where and the marching band would... And you do a parade? Would, yeah, but you do the parade at like 100 miles an hour, and I was just reflecting the other day. I don't know why. Maybe because we were doing this episode. Like, Disney made Boku bucks off of that because there was 100 of us shipped down to Florida, stayed in their hotel, <laughs> right, bought their food for a week, four days, five days, whatever, went to their freaking water park. It was a good deal for them. But they just like get us to tear through that theme park at top speed. But yeah, we, we got to go backstage. Which is cool. I actually, the last time I was there, got to go backstage because the ride I was on broke down. And that was a really neat experience. Oh. Okay, so there are definitely more Disney terms. And if you catch me using them, please call me out on it. Yeah, but I think do. those ones are important to know. So, to understand why Walt Disney thought he'd be able to create his own city despite everything and everyone stacked against him, we need to take a look at his entire life. There is actually a very linear progression of his projects that leads directly to him building his own city, believe it or not. <laughs> like the, it's kind of like it was the obvious next step for him. Yeah, history almost never works that way, so that's kind of nice. Walt's life is insane because it is, it's like every step. He's like, yeah, this makes sense. And you re- look at it and you're like, yeah, that does make sense. So he structured <laughs> his own life like he did one of his projects. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> um, it's kind of sad in a way. Yeah, we'll get into that <laughs> oh, okay. too. <laughs> um, so he was told over and over again that whatever idea that he was dreaming of would never work throughout his entire life. And he proved them wrong pretty much every time. And and by them, I mean literally everyone. Like, he had critics everywhere. And um, he whenever they'd tell him no, he would just be like, whatever. And the first example of that is when he was 16 years old, he tried to enlist in the army, but they denied him because he was underage. So he forged his birth certificate to make himself one year older so that he could become a Red Red Cross ambulance driver. And so he like spent a year or so driving around Europe as a Red Red Cross ambulance driver. And um, I like him a little better because of that story. Yeah, it's I was reading and it said that um, he was like, well, I'd I'm not going to just sit around and do nothing. (laughs) (laughs) There's a war on. When he couldn't couldn't enlist in the army. And he only made himself one year older. And they have the forged birth certificate, like, at his, like, estate or whatever. Like, you can go see it. And then after he got back, 
he moved to California and he started his animation studio with his older brother, Roy. And so uh, Roy and Walt had a very interesting relationship. I'd say that they got along relatively well, but it was like Walt was the idea man and Roy was the money man and they would clash all the time because oh, yeah. Walt didn't care about money. Well, he obviously cared about money, but like in the sense of his projects, he was like, all money can go to this. Whereas Roy is like, no, we need to keep some money for ourselves because I want to be rich. And, <laughs> and so they would argue a lot and Roy would be the one to tell Walt no. So Walt would always like kind of go behind Roy's back to be like, well, no, we're going to do this. And don't tell Roy that we're spending this money. <laughs> and a week later, Roy's like, hey, where did that $100,000 go that we had yesterday? Buzz kill Roy. Right? <laughs> There's such a fun little anecdote where, like, Roy had to go away somewhere. But right before he went, they were rebuilding It's a Small World in Disneyland. And Walt wanted to put gold, like, on the facade of the of the ride and Roy was like no that's such a waste of money and so Roy went on went somewhere and then when he came back Walt had decorated the whole thing with actual gold (laughs) and like Roy was like god damn it (laughs) Walt is that really gold no it's I painted it it's just I don't think it was like I think it was like the gold flake so it wasn't like he was putting like gold bars (laughs) on it but like anyway like it was pricier than just painting it gold (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so they moved into like a garage together, basically, is and that's where they started their oh, really? studio. Yeah, like they, Apple computers or something. Yeah, you yeah. know it, what's funny too is like Walt Disney is very I'm I'm the American dream. He started pretty poor and did kind of work his way up through the ranks. So like he is kind of like the embodiment of the American dream, which I think is why he's such like a icon in American culture. Yeah, but is this the depression with Mickey Mouse? Mickey Mouse, what was it, the 20s or? He, I think so. I didn't, Snow White came out in 1937. So. So that's, yeah, that's, I mean, times are tough, man. Yeah. That'll do. I don't know when the Depression ended and stuff. I don't know enough about that. Yeah, it's, I mean, we're still, like, it's World War time and all this. Like, we're gearing up for World War II and, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the 30s were tough. Mm Mm-hmm. So Disney Animation um, eventually moved out of the garage and into like an actual studio and they were creating very popular short cartoons, including the Silly Symphonies. But Walt thought that the shorts weren't going to keep his studio afloat. So he set his sights on making a feature length animated film, which had not ever really been done before. It like it had been done before, but it was very rare and it like didn't do very well. Mm -hmm. Um, So when word got out that that was Walt's next project, all of his competitors and critics said that it would never work. No one wanted to sit through an hour and a half long animated film. And the project even ended up getting the nickname in Hollywood as Disney's Folly. Like, that's how much people knew about it. And were like, he's crazy. And he basically put all of his eggs in one basket. Like, they dumped all of their money into making Snow White. And his brother Roy and his wife Lillian were trying to talk him out of it. But Walt was like, no, this is going to work. This is going to work. And they did go through with it. And $1.5 million later, on December 21st, 1937, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs became the first full-length cell animated feature in history. It was a smash hit, and it made the Walt Disney Company a staple in American culture. So once again, proving everyone very wrong. And I also cannot stress enough that if this movie had failed, I don't think the company would even exist, or at least not in the same capacity that it does today. Yeah, we would be talking about this in a very different way. (laughs) Hey, remember that guy who made a movie and it sucked? (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird footnote moment. Remember that guy that paid those animators a million (laughs) dollars? It's like... 
<laughs> Weird. So after Snow White's success, the company continued to grow. And after building a new studio, surviving a worker strike, both things that I will bring up again later, yeah. uh, making many more Surviving movies. is a very kind word. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. Yeah, it's plowing, okay. I'm here. Plowing through yes. a worker Smashing, strike. Smashing, demolishing a worker strike. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And, well, and also support the writer strike going on right now. Mm, WGA. Yeah. For those of you who are listening a year from now, Sorry, but yeah. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> Writers are on strike to give you a sense of when we're recording this. They made a lot more movies, including live action movies. And then Walt was struck with inspiration for a new project. So he would receive fan mail where fans would ask him to come tour the animation studio. And he also got requests for fans to come and meet the characters. Um, he would think to himself that a studio tour would actually not be as fun as fans might have thought. And his priority was to make sure that people were entertained when doing anything related to the Disney company. And he didn't think that the tour would suffice. Hmm. Also, he had had people dress up as Mickey, Minnie, and Snow White in the Seven Dwarfs before at like some movie premieres, but there wasn't a dedicated space for people to come and meet the characters at his studio. And I also find it kind of strange that people were like, can I meet the characters when they're all animated you know what i mean like because it's like disney popularized the idea of meeting mascots right it feels that way my understanding of his particular innovation is that it had been done that people had mascots but they were profoundly creepy like they were well even disney's were super creepy at first it took him a long time to perfect the mask so that it didn't scare children like you know Times square mascots oh yeah like that's how they all (laughs) used to look was these weird like creepy yeah i don't know exactly how the masks work you might know better than me savannah but the, his design reached a point where that did where the eyes didn't look so fixed something about yes. the eyes well the eyes actually like move now and stuff it's weird yeah because <laughs> um, they have fans in there right no oh. apparently that's a myth but i don't know I, hmm. I, they have some new technology going on inside those heads and i <laughs> it's really neat but like i have no idea how it works because I like to keep the Disney magic. <laughs> I, I always have... imagine like ice packs in there, personally. No, I think you just sweat to death. Ah, damn. <laughs> they trade them out all the time. Well, like... I hope my student gets to be a face rather than a fur. I mean, the Little Mermaid, she's really got it. Like, she's got the best deal. She wears the least clothes. Well, and, well, and then sunburn. she's inside an air-conditioned like grotto too. Oh, sweet! Oh. That's a nice gig. Because Ariel can't move around, so she like is in her tail and she sits on a rock, and you go into an air-conditioned area and take pictures with her. Although if Erin gets Tinkerbell, that's a little dress. That's pretty comfortable. But if she gets Tinkerbell, she might be able to like they put a real live actor up on the oh, zip line at the, the top of the castle and make them fly. <laughs> so that could be <laughs> flying across. I I'd do it. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. But anyway, God, we're getting really off track. Yeah, yeah, I could talk about <laughs> all this other stuff. So while out on a Saturday, which was Daddy's Day with his two daughters, Walt would uh, Walt took his daughters to like a small amusement park, and that's when he was like, you know what? I would like to make an amusement park, but not dirty like this one. This one's gross. <laughs> These weird Times Square characters. Yes, with the googly eyes. Well, apparently, like amusement parks were like super seedy, creepy places back then. Carnies, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A carny atmosphere. All my love to the Carnies listening. <laughs> but yeah, you, you know what I mean. It was a seedy place. Yeah. <laughs> Not long after.
after that, Disneyland was Walt's next big project and obsession. And this is where Walt meets a really big player in the story. Having told some of his architect friends about his idea for the theme park, they introduced him to Harrison Buzz Price. He worked for the Stanford Research Research Institute and did site suitability studies. And uh, the morning after meeting Price, Walt hired him. (laughs) Like literally the next day. Yeah, those are serious guys. I mean, they did everything SRI. They were the ones that were, I think they messed around with LSD. They messed around with psychic communications. Yeah. Oh? Yeah. When, when we did our episode on uh, the psychics who worked during the Cold War, they they came out of, in part, out of SRI. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, well, this dude was crazy. I mean, like, in a good way. Like, Buzz Price seems like the smartest person ever. Maybe smarter than you, Rob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see, Buzz. <laughs> um, I'm sure Buzz made more money than I Yeah, well, he certainly did. <laughs> he had more patrons. Yeah, so he basically, like, set up a new, like, system for measuring how successful things can be and where they would be the most successful. I'm not going to get into everything because, like, honestly, when I was reading, I was like, this is all going over my head anyway. But he managed (laughs) to find the right spot for Disneyland, and after working on a plan with Walt... Oh, so uh, I see. So, like, space, just to your... So where things would be, like, location, location, location. He had a formula to determine the best possible location. Yes. In America? Or California. Well, California. Okay, so they said, okay, we're going to build a park somewhere in California. Mm-hmm. Use your your algorithm to determine where we should put it. Yep, and okay. he found that Anaheim was the best because it was right next to like a major highway that was getting built, and then it's like near the Disney Studio and stuff like that. And Los Angeles is right there. Maybe yeah. this was not such a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on a second. I mean, I guess he could have picked San Francisco, but he couldn't predict the 60s. Rob just threatened because you said this guy might be smarter <laughs> no, than him. <laughs> like, do you really need a fancy system to say, well, a lot of people go to Hollywood on vacation? I mean, <laughs> Walt apparently couldn't figure that out. <laughs> he needed this guy to be like, so where do all the tourists go in California? <laughs> well, there's Hollywood. <laughs> never occurred to me i was gonna put in sacramento <laughs> probably multiple popular places everybody yeah. loves sacramento yeah, but like exactly where like you could like you you could have put it in hollywood but you don't want to put it in hollywood because like it's right gross in the middle there. of hollywood yeah you know all right okay and I'll, then I'll I, anaheim had better things give too because that. anaheim was a developing place so they were able to buy like a lot of land at once it had the highway so like it would be easier to get there and like nobody was around, so they were like, "Yeah, all the land." For I bet us. Roy got involved a little bit on that cheap land situation. Oh, I'm sure he did. Roy was always in on the cheap land. Typical Roy. <laughs> Typical Roy move. Can't give Buzz all the credit there. Nope. <laughs> no, but this next part is great. This is like one of my favorite parts of the whole story. So, like after planning this all out, Walt sent Price to the annual amusement park industry convention and trade show <laughs> that was happening in Chicago that I didn't realize was a thing, but. Apparently the expositions, yeah. That's where Disney, right? Is that what you're talking about? No. What that, is this? That's the World's Fair that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is, like, apparently amusement park people who owned amusement parks back then would get together and oh. just talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> How's your roller coaster <laughs> doing? And they, so Price... Any of your freaks going on strike? Yeah, pretty much. I feel like that's <laughs> what it was. And so he, he brought along... Um, other big company people and Dis- or other big Disney company people like Richard Irvine and Bill Cottrell who were the president and vice president of um, Wed Enterprises which is like the Imagineering part of the of the Disney company and then Nate Weinkoff um, who 
the book I was reading didn't say what his title was, but I've read that he was just very, very important to Disneyland, uh, building Disneyland. So, I was so like, he all hired right. all these guys and he didn't have anything yet. Yes. All these guys are running a thing that doesn't exist. Yes. Okay. Well, they're not running a thing. So Walt they're sent them there it. to get their opinion, get these like the the head of the theme park industry's opinion on if Disneyland would work or not. Okay. They gathered William Schmidt, who owned Riverview Park in Chicago, Harry Bat, who owned Pontchartrain Park in New Orleans, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, Ed Schott, who owned Cincinnati's Coney Island, mm. and George Whitney, who owned Playland at the beach in San Francisco, which must be like a a brand because like we have playlands in ocean city and stuff so like i don't know if it's connected to him or not but and coney island in cincinnati the cincinnati coney island that's what it says all right fair enough the, uh, cincinnati's coney island is right. <laughs> okay anyway they were supposedly like the top guys like they knew everything about the theme park business so the four men schmoozed the park owners for two hours and then gave them a presentation detailing Disneyland. And oh boy, did the park owners hate the idea. They basically tore the entire project to shred, saying not a single aspect of it would work. And the focus group advice ended with, tell your boss to save his money, tell him to stick to what he knows, and leave the am amusement business to people who know it. Mm. They, they, were, they hated it. And they were also mad that he was basically trying to make a cleaner amusement park, and they're like, they're supposed to be dirty! What do you mean you're not putting <laughs> sawdust in the hot dogs? You're never gonna make it! Exactly! <laughs> and they were like, you're gonna waste, you're wasting all your money on a castle? Like, yeah, sure, that's pretty, but like, <laughs> what do you, the castle doesn't do anything! Do you know how, how many like, bearded ladies you could get <laughs> for one castle? <laughs> yeah, exactly! That's like kind of their idea behind it. And then it was like, if, um, and you don't have carnies there to like try and steal people's money. If, and then it, like there was a quote that said, um, if anybody is leaving my amusement park with a dime in their pocket, my carnies didn't do their job. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah like, that was it, right? Mm -hmm. Where's all the tiny basketball hoops that look big from a distance? <laughs> <laughs> Yet again, Walt being told, don't do this thing. Everybody said, don't do this thing. I'm sure Roy wasn't that crazy about it, but. I don't know. <laughs> Roy was a lot. It must have been like whatever. Walt. But his wife even his wife said, why do you want to build an amusement park? Amusement parks are dirty. They don't make any money. And Walt replied. That's the whole point. I want a clean one that will. It's a nice idea. I mean, when you think about it, because this is you bring your family, right? Yeah, that was his kind of a big inspiration for him. Well, because he was with his daughters and he's like, oh, you know, it would be fun to like bring them to a place like, like I said, that isn't dirty, but also a place that would be safe. Like, I don't have to worry about them like getting kidnapped or something here. Yeah. And like, like yeah, like the, your, your classic carnival, like dad's role at the carnival. I don't want to be gendery here, but like, you know, historically it would be to just like make sure his kids don't get screwed out of all their money. Yeah. And not look like an, an a-hole ass. Can I, do we say asshole on the show? Not look like an sure. asshole in front of his kids because he's getting screwed by the carny while they watch. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough gig. Like, that's not fun. That's not a relaxing Saturday. That's kind exactly. of stressful. And then you don't have anything pretty to look at. And there might not be enough benches so your feet get tired. <laughs> and so, like, this is all stuff that, like, Walt Benches about. everywhere. <laughs> and, yep. That's what they flipped out about. Do you know how much a bench costs? <laughs> you want people to sit? They need to be up spending. <laughs> Eating our sawdust hot dogs. <laughs> oh, my God. 
of course, Walt doubled down, and we all know what happened next. Disneyland opened July 17th, 1955, and was a huge success and changed the way that theme parks were designed forever. So yet again, everyone told Walt, you can't do this thing, and he basically said, watch me. (laughs) He also learned a lot about site planning and architecture from building Disneyland, um, things that he will carry with him for the rest of his life. And he also seemed to have a lot of fun building it and wanted to challenge his newfound skills in site planning. So the next project was building a city for the arts. And I won't go too far into specifics for this one because it's not completely necessary, but it's an important step to Epcot. Before you get this newfound skill. So the man like started to study site planning. Is that what you mean? Yes. And he was basically involved in like every single process of Disneyland and everything had to have his final say on it. So Because he, he became an expert at this? Because Buzz is his man, right? Or, or what? Well, Buzz was the man... Okay, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Buzz was the man who found the site uh-huh. and helped Walt with the money and getting people there. Then he had another Imagineer named Marvin Davis who, because Walt apparently wasn't skilled enough to draw out what he wanted, so mm-hmm. he would go to Marvin, loosely draw it, and then Marvin would draw what Walt wanted. So everything in Disneyland was basically Walt's idea, but he wasn't talented enough to actually build these things. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the, just to me, like, imagining this, like, wrapping your head around some of these, like, historical characters. Like, clearly Walt Disney couldn't be awesome at everything. Oh, no. So it's going to take all these other people oh, yeah. to actually realize... Oh, 100%. And honestly, like, I mean, I could talk... Disneyland's creation is its own story. Like, I'm just giving, like, brief footnotes into it because it's not... Yeah, because we're going to get to Epcot, right? Yeah. (laughs) But, I mean, but yeah, like, he... There were so many people involved. It wasn't just Walt magically doing this all all on his own. But Walt was the one who was like, I'm going to make it work. Yeah, he had the master plan. Yes. Yeah. And also, like, wouldn't listen to people being like, it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. The next project, City for the Arts. And so basically, Walt was paying for his animators to be trained at the Chunard Art Institute until Mrs. Chunard suffered a stroke in the early 1950s and the school got hit by an embezzlement scam, so it didn't exist oh, anymore. Mrs. Chunard. <laughs> I know. They kicked you while you were no, down. <laughs> so, and then even worse is like, Walt was like, I'll make my own school. <laughs> <laughs> That's three kicks. <laughs> I don't think she was around anymore. Oh, by then, I'm glad Mrs. Chunard is not alive to see this day. I don't know that for a fact, but that's the implication I got. He he just started designing his own school, and and then it's quickly morphed into, like, a whole city where he wanted, like, the main building to be the university, and then everyone who lived there would all be the students of the university, and they'd work in the town, live in the town, and like go to school in the town and then they'd be able to like sell their art or showcase it and stuff like that and then tourists would come in and like go to restaurants and theaters and blah 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 so he's work they're working for him <laughs> i don't he doesn't well he died before this project was finished which so it's not his project they wouldn't necessarily work for him i think they just work in like the restaurants and stuff that were there. Oh, oh, okay. So they're not like creating art. They're art students working in the town, and he doesn't own all the businesses no. in the town. Mm-hmm. Okay, he just owns the college. Yes. Okay. 
Yeah, so they would work, I mean, um, they would go to the university, be students at the university, and part of their work could be actually selling their art in this place, but yes, but they'd probably be like the retail workers and stuff like that in this town. So, so far, he's functionally capitalist, and he's still, we're functioning in a democracy. I know that that's not going to last forever it's as we tend to toward last Epcot, <laughs> but so far, he's, he's just running the college. Yes. Yeah. Well, except... It, it, all it did was he basically just made concept art for it or con, like concept whatever for it because he didn't make the art. Yeah. He had his Imagineers do it. Um, he called it City of the Seven Arts, which I thought was kind of a goofy name. <laughs> and, ah, the seven. Yes, exactly. I was like, what are the seven arts? But anyway, didn't end up coming to fruition. But it's important because it was Walt's first time dabbling in actual city planning. And then it also shows how much he trusted Price because um, he once again hired price to find like a perfect spot for him to do this and price did find a spot and it actually ended up becoming cal the california institute for the arts or better known as cal arts so walt yeah. disney basically founded cal arts which i had no idea and then when he died he left half of his estate to the school as well so like he was like big for his well, animators getting an um getting an education and that makes sense let me just real quick here you want to give a million dollars to harvard what for harvard doesn't need that money <laughs> yeah right you so <laughs> he's, he's gonna start uh, that's a different thing though if you want to start a school now you're creating new opportunities for people those rich ass kids at harvard or whatever they are they're children of privilege now even if they weren't before now they are they don't mm -hmm. need your million dollars nope but this is a different starting a school there's a good use for your all the billionaires who listen to this show, first give us some money, then... Yeah, I was about to say, if you if you have a million dollars to spare, send yeah. it our way first, but then make your own school. Elon, <laughs> if you're out there. Mark. He's too busy on Twitter. Right, well, you never know. Maybe he's interested in Epcot. Maybe this is Elon's next project. <laughs> oh, no! Rocket no. Land. Well, I'll tell you why you shouldn't do it, Elon, if you are listening. <laughs> um, this may appeal. Anyway. <laughs> Disneyland being as successful as it was, and for as long as it was, Walt started getting offers from big businessmen on the East Coast to build a second Disneyland. He was interested, but wasn't sure that it would work. He also believed that it couldn't be a direct copy of Disneyland. It would have to be better. Uh, when asked to make a sequel for the Three Little Pigs Silly Symphony cartoon way back before Snow White, Walt said, I never believed in doing sequels. I didn't want to waste the time I have doing a sequel. I'd rather be using that time doing something new and different. You can't top pigs with pigs. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> and it's a funny quote considering the state of the company at the moment where we're about to see a live action Little Mermaid, you know, like just oh, recreations yeah. of all of the same. It was Euro things. Disney because Euro Disney was a disaster until it wasn't. Now they think they can just do that with everything. I mean, Little Mermaid, it, not only was it a cartoon, I mean, that's right, the original, mm -hmm. so to speak. I mean, Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, but then it was a Broadway show. Then it was, yes. right? So there's they get three iterations of the exact same thing with the exact same lines, right? Yep. Is it the same music, too? Pretty much. Huh. I think they might have added a song or two, but the movie isn't out yet, so we don't know yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they cut that one where they traumatize kids about fish? Oh, well, <laughs> they probably did. There's that scene where the chef is, like, cutting fish up and stuff like that, and yeah. he's singing about how much he loves to kill fish, basically. Which is fine oh, in most wild, contexts. But... But yeah, so... But you're just watched like you just spent like forty five minutes like learning to love Little Nemo and all these like guys in the in the, hanging around with them. And then he's murdering them. I thought you meant like 
like the under the sea song. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, what's so traumatizing that's murder about based. that? <laughs> but I mean, there's all racism in that too, right? There's like Jamaican stereotypes and stuff. The Sebastian character. I would argue Sebastian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. we're in like this, you know, woke ass time period, right? Yeah. Which and is neither good nor bad, listeners. You can be of the right or the left. David Diggs, who I know from Hamilton, is playing Sebastian, but he sounds like he is still doing like a Jamaican accent. Yeah, that sounds problematic, at least a little. No. I, I mean, don't today. Know. I yeah. don't know. And maybe he's just a I mean, Jamaican he's character. A crab. Oh. <laughs> Jar Jar Banks couldn't get away with it. Anyway. <laughs> Is that a hot take? I don't think so. I don't so. know. It's I just don't know true. how Jamaicans feel about the crab doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Jamaicans. You're asking me if, if you're it's out there. Or not. I don't know how Jamaicans Jama- feel about it. We need to know how Jama- how you feel, Jamaica, about Sebastian the crab. <laughs> characters not allowed to have accents <laughs> i mean is he a positive ambassador for the I like nation him. of jamaica Sebastian was cool that poor guy he worked so hard and ariel just true. was like fuck off weirdly animated though like that's the only crab where the like front comes out of it yeah yeah so people try, I think people try and argue that he's a lobster, too, but he's not <laughs> yeah. a lobster, he's a crab. He does look more lobstery because of that protrusion. Like, there's no crabs. Like, we're in the state of Maryland. We have seen a lot of crabs. <laughs> what about flounders? <laughs> the flounders aren't big like that. Yeah, the no, flounder, yeah, you're right. He's just named flounder. He isn't flounder. And I actually, we were arguing about this oh. at work the other day. Uh, flounder <laughs> is not based off of any real fish. <laughs> like, they just... <laughs> He's just a generic fish. Yes. Because I was trying to figure out what kind of fish he was based off of in the new live action movie. And they were just like, he's not based off of any fish. And I'm like, he has to be. He's literally like a real fish. Like in the he's new got live fish action parts, movie. yeah. But, um, anyway. Yeah, so I guess we'll make this a Patreon special. <laughs> like all of this Where side commentary. about the Little Mermaid. Um, <laughs> well, that's like, that was like my first Disney animated movie. That came out in like 89. So that would have been like the first one I saw in the theater as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sexy for a little kid. Well, anyway. what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> so just because Walt was against sequels doesn't mean that he wasn't willing to do them for money. <laughs> so he, he eventually did make a sequel for The Three Little Pigs and it flopped, but mm. he got his money. It only was three minutes long, so big deal. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. But And then he also began to seriously consider a sequel to Disneyland when he learned how untapped the market was on the East Coast. Mm. So he enlisted Price once again and had him start doing surveys all up and down the East Coast to find the best spot for the theme park. He surveyed New York and determined it wouldn't work there. The weather would prevent them from operating all year long, and the tourists who went to New York City were mainly people on business trips and would only stay for a few days. Whoa, he's wrong about that. Because Broadway, almost like half of Broadway functions on the tourist audience. Yeah, but they're there to see Broadway. They're not there to That's go to true. an amusement park. Well, now they're there to see him on Broadway because his, all his, his movies are Broadway shows. Yeah, but now. he hasn't made any Broadway shows yet. Well, he, he He's never going yeah, to, he's... right? Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, the company well, will decide that there's the... money to be made in, on New York tourists. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously there are, but there's not as many tourists going there for pleasure as there are going to florida for pleasure yeah and i will say to his credit like new york tourism has of course changed if we look at like what time when is this This is like the 50s 60s yeah this is the 50s as we're heading toward the 70s like new york is just one large den of prostitution so it's not a really a great family yeah destination even just like the weather aspect of it yes it's like 
part of why Disneyland cold, no one wants to be there exactly well yeah. and they wouldn't be yeah. able to operate like it would be too cold to operate it mm-hmm. and part of what made Disneyland so successful is that it could operate all year long so it was very important for Walt that his uh, second Disneyland would do that that Mickey head would be more comfortable though <laughs> probably would just <laughs> throwing that out there uh, but also this Baltimore and Washington DC were also looked at but the same conclusions were drawn so we could have had Disneyland right in our backyard yeah then we could all be working for the Disney company yeah we probably would be wouldn't mm-hmm. we this next step they've already determined that like the north of the east coast is bad like no we don't want it there <laughs> This is when John D. MacArthur reached out to Walt. So MacArthur seems to be just a wealthy businessman who is known for being the father of Palm Beach, Florida. Like, I, that's pretty much all I saw about him. And he was looking for something to fill his newly acquired, newly acquired land and thought a Disney theme park was the perfect choice. I have all this land here in Palm Beach, Florida. You can build a second Disneyland here. Lots of tourists and it's warm. Yawn. Well... What if I give you enough land to build a city around the theme park? Wait, you'll let me design a functional city? Sure, why not? It's a deal. Great, let's go skinny dipping. <laughs> Wait, does that happen? <laughs> the last one was not something that I made up. Like, Walt and Price went to see the land and meet with MacArthur, and now I'm going to read an exact quote from the book I was reading. All right. During a visit to MacArthur's home, MacArthur had insisted that Walt and Price join him in one of his passions, skinny dipping in one of his lakes. Walt declined, but watched from the shore. <laughs> Why is that That's worse? Price and Walt were there together, so that implies that Buzz said yes, and Walt said no. So Walt just watched these two grown men skinny dip in this lake from the beach. <laughs> we've all we've been to Florida, Savannah, like Shannon. We've all been to Florida. Why would you not want to just you know go balls out in a lake in in the, the state of Florida? There's like gators. Yeah, I'm with Walt. I'm. <laughs> I'm not afraid no of nudity for a second, but gators are another story. <laughs> I don't want your bits all out. No, yeah. not your bits. No. Those are the first things they'll go for. That's like bait. <laughs> Just rule number one to teach you in Florida. Yeah, keep your bits away keep from your the gators. Bits to yourself. <laughs> no, they don't do that in Florida. I know that for a fact. <laughs> to be to play devil's advocate a little bit for MacArthur, um, it was like a man-made lake, and it was they like cleaned it somehow or they had like had clean water in it and this is actually like it says um MacArthur then gave us a lecture on how you get the crystal clear water in the lakes of Florida relating it to the sand bottoms on the clean lakes and their percolating and filtering action it sounded like a manageable technology and Walt was fascinated and so then they eventually that's all the lakes in Disney World have like sand underneath of them they like man-made put their sand to help keep the lakes clean and stuff Hmm. now just because you have a clean lake doesn't mean that gators won't be in it because gators are in every body of water in Florida. But if it was brand new, he might have gotten no clue. With it. I mean, obviously, it, the book says it was... Buzz his- was willing to roll the dice. <laughs> yeah. Yet again, evidence that Buzz is maybe not the sharpest tech in the pack. I don't know. I feel like Buzz probably wrestled a few gators. Oh, (laughs) you think Buzz was ready? If that's your favorite hobby, skinny dipping in ponds in Florida, (laughs) you've interacted with a gator. (laughs) So Buzz was like, oh man, you're singing my tune. This is what I do. (laughs) This is my passion. I don't want to keep 
keep crunching numbers for Walt. This is how I get through. Oh my goodness gracious. I couldn't believe that. That was just so genuinely weird. I had to put that little I appreciate that. The idea of building a city around his theme park was super appealing for Walt for multiple reasons. The biggest reason was not having control of the land around Disneyland was his biggest regret with the park. Once the park opened in Anaheim, there was an influx of people buying up all the land around it and building their own money makers on it. There were motels, tourist traps, restaurants, and I'm sure many other things all trying to capitalize off of Disneyland's success. And this made Walt furious. At the Disneyland's 10th anniversary in 1965, Walt said... If we could have bought more land, we would have bought it. Then we would have control of it. And it wouldn't look like a second-rate Las Vegas around here. But we ran out of money, and by the time we did have a little money, everybody got wise to what was going on. We couldn't buy anything around the place at all. So he... I mean, how do you do this? Like, Kissimmee, right, exists in part as a like adjunct of Disney that Disney doesn't control. What does I'm Kissimmee, sorry. like Kissimmee, St. Cloud, that region? Like, oh, okay. Th- mm-hmm. But I, I just don't understand. Like, how much land would you have to own to prevent that from happening? Thirty thousand acres of land. <laughs> but even then, like these places still are going to mm-hmm. pop up on the outside that are going to offer cheaper hotels and yeah. you know whatever. It's capitalism. And it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I'm sure the lost money was a part of it, and Roy was probably like, ah, but (laughs) Walt was more upset with the aesthetic of it. He hated the fact, it became, he called it a second-rate Las Vegas. He hated that, and he wanted everything to look a certain way. Like I said, he had to accept every final detail in Disneyland, and he he wanted wanted it to look like old America. Like, he wanted it to look like the main street of the town where he grew up, and so you're like in this nice little town in this nice fictional world and then you walk out of Disneyland like out of the front gates and then all of a sudden you're hit with the second rate Las Vegas and that's what pissed him off so in a way like all the fast pass hijinks and everything of the last like 20 years is very on brand for Disney he wanted you to have to stay at the hotel to be able to fully like enjoy the park oh for sure I mean in practice it created second class citizens right of the tourists going (laughs) to Disney World but yeah yeah no, but yeah, I mean, like, because it's like the Disney experience. And then when you're staying at Disney places, you're having the Disney experience. This is exactly how Walt wanted you to see it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, I and mean, the, I was a working perfectly... class kid, so I was at the Holiday Inn with my parents. When we went to Disney World, <laughs> I was, you know, three years, right, right, Shannon? Like, we're at the fucking Holiday Inn. We're not freaking Holiday Inn. <laughs> so sorry, Walt, but, like, it's just too pricey to stay at the Polynesian resorts. It looks nice. <laughs> Shannon's like, nah, I was at the I, I went with Savannah's family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you were at the Polynesian. <laughs> The Polynesia. I went with experienced Disney goers. Yeah, it's just it's a price thing. Like he's got you by the you know hairs of your scrotum there. If you're there's cheaper hotels now, but anyway, we're getting getting off topic. Those all star resorts are basically bargain bin. Honestly, Pop Century. I like staying there. It's got the sky gondola thing. Oh, that's cool. And it takes you to different theme parks, and it's way better than taking the bus. It's Don't awesome. cry for me. I'm a college professor now. But I'm just saying, as a kid, <laughs> we could only afford the Holiday Inn, and then we drove into the... God forbid. <laughs> oh, you, you poor thing. <laughs> get up at 7 a.m., try to get to the gate on Well, time. you're doing that anyway at a normal yeah, hotel, yeah. so... I didn't mean to say that so loud, but... You can just hop on the monorail. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, we did. <laughs> we're not hopping. We're in the minivan, the rental minivan. We're not hopping on any monorail. But those Disney Mickey waffles are banging. Yeah, nope, nope. We're eating the continental breakfast. We get half of a, a blueberry muffin and some uh, some Cap'n Crunch. Well, sucks to suck. I guess. <laughs> sucks to be poor. 
my classism is really showing right now. Hardcore, man. What Mickey Mouse waffles aren't that expensive. I, I would know. I, I've never had the pleasure. <laughs> Captain Crunch came free. Epcot. Okay. Okay, Epcot. Where were we? He was very mad about the second rate glossary. <laughs> This is all the bonus material. All of yes. this is going on Patreon. The episode starts here. Yes. So, yeah, Walt wanted everything to look a certain way, like we mentioned. So another reason why Walt wanted to build a city is uh, because he believed he could. His yeah. design in Disneyland had been praised by all sorts of architects and especially fans. And he was also a man who was obsessed with progress. Um, he always wanted to play. He always wanted a place to test out new technology and move everything forward tech-wise. And I think the YouTube channel Defunct Land put it best when he called Walt a conservative obsessed with progress. Because <laughs> and he also he was also a futurist that traded in um, nostalgia was another quote from Defunct Land. Let's and create a carousel where we watch progress in a circular fashion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It and then, perfectly captures. His yeah, ideology. Exactly. And then it's also like you have Disneyland, which looks like this old school, like super white people town. And then it's like, oh, but I want progress, but I don't want any of that like woke progress. I just <laughs> want the technology to get better. Yeah. He actually, Walt himself said that Disneyland would never be completed. It was always meant to be evolving and changing to match the times and the technology. He intended the park to always be on the cutting edge of the entertainment industry. Building a city from scratch with that mindset was super attractive to him. He thought that he could make a city that would test out all sorts of new technologies and it would be a role model for every city in the world on how to fix everyday problems. So, once again, Price was asked to see how successful a Palm Beach theme park would be. Price's data came back very positive, but Roy Disney and MacArthur couldn't settle some sort of disagreement, something about money, and the deal ended up falling through. They said, goodbye, John, we don't want to skinny dip with you anymore, I guess. <laughs> Roy was offended he didn't get to ask to go skinny dipping with them. Aww, <laughs> no, I'm just, that's my own, like, fan fiction. Oh, that that's no, it's canon. <laughs> So there's no document where Roy's writing a letter to Walt. I wanted to skinny dip too. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point, it was too late to put out the fire that would become Epcot because Walt was like, I'm going to make a city now. Like he became obsessed with it at that point. After Palm Beach fell through, Walt called on Price once again to do another survey, but this time to look for a place where he could build his city of tomorrow. And so Price was a smart man, and he learned how to communicate with Walt. Well, maybe a smart man, according to Rob, but anyway. <laughs> he's swimming with them gators. I don't know. Shannon just thinks he's got a hobby. <laughs> typical Florida man activity. <laughs> I don't think that speaks well. <laughs> He did learn how to work and communicate with Walt Disney, so, which is... Yeah, that's tricky, yeah. So, He's a what, Disney whisperer. What he learned is that, well, Walt didn't like to be told no. So if Price heard an idea from Walt that wasn't possible, he'd say, yes, if. Walt responded very well to that talk. It didn't say no, but it also set up, like, little tasks for Walt to do. So he, like, he distracted trying to figure this out. Um, but anyway, so, like, what he basically ended up saying to Walt was, you can build a city 
if you also have an amusement park to help attract people to the city. And Walt was like, all right. <laughs> Price got to work looking for the best place for a theme park and a city of tomorrow in Florida. And he found that the best place would be Central Florida because it would be the easiest place for like all residents in Florida to get to. And then tourists driving to like the southernmost tip of Florida would be passing right by the park. So it's just like so much tourism and people moving around in Florida. Sure. Oh, and then a highway was also getting built in Orlando. He really likes putting stuff next to highways that are getting built <laughs> because that's what happened in Anaheim too. After hearing this from Price, Walt excitedly jumped into his private plane and started flying over central Florida and he looked out the window right into a swampy land and that was next to the new highway getting built and he was like, that's it. Shannon's jumping in her private plane to just have a look later. Yeah, to go get her Mickey waffles. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mickey waffles. <laughs> I'm projecting yeah. my That's it. I did. Yep. I did pick up yep. my waffles. She doesn't even want to eat them. She wants to see them from the aerial view. <laughs> see, see other people eating them. I fly by Rob's house eating my Mickey waffles. <laughs> Texting me pictures. Oh, my goodness. With my gator buddy. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we are almost to Epcot. I know this episode is meant to be about Epcot. This is how I felt reading the book that I got. It was like, what? about epcot but all of this stuff is actually like relatively important context to know for <laughs> the ideas that he ended up having yeah, it's a complex epcot. event not to have the backstory i didn't realize how complex epcot was until i started like fully researching it and then i was like holy crap there was one last really important step on the road to epcot and that was the 1964 and 65 world's fair but mm. that's honestly important in like every bit of Disney history. Every defunct line video about Disney probably mentions the World's Fair. And to the point where I got sick of hearing about it, but then I was like, oh, I do have to learn about it because it is actually very important to Disney history. The entire plot of land was called Disney World and then Epcot is the city, also known as Progress City, whatever you want to call it, would be in the center of this land. So like the entire project would be called Disney World. So if I'm talking about Epcot, I'm just talking about the city and the land. And if I'm talking about Disney World, I'm talking about like the whole land mass that they ended up buying. Originally, it was Magic Kingdom and Epcot, right? Epcot was the city and Magic Kingdom was the amusement was park. Was going to be the yeah. amusement park. And I'll get into all that. Okay. But I just wanted to point that out um, so people didn't but get But that would have been like the original Disney World is Magic Kingdom plus Epcot equals Disney World. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So those projects were top secret, and they even like came up with like secret names for them. It was under the Florida Project or Project X, and Walt and other executives started buying up the land in Orlando under fake identities and companies to avoid anyone trying to get in on building the a building right outside of the park or charging very expensive rates for this land. So I'm sure Roy was very happy with this. Yeah, it's a smart plan. Oh yeah, people would have charged a fortune if they knew that Disney was going to build another park there. Yeah, if they just think it's the Florida Projects, they're not going to buy a bunch of land. Yeah. For people who don't know, a World's Fair is a large international exhibition designed to showcase the achievements of nations. And Walt wanted his Imagineers to work and create attractions for the World's Fair because he saw this as a test run for the Florida Project. So he gets sponsorships from big companies trying to show off for the rest of the world. And then his Imagineers would get practice building new things. Also, he'd like convince them to sponsor his city. And he'd get to see how the East Coast liked Disney attractions. For some reason, Walt believed that the East Coast was more sophisticated and wouldn't want a theme park. Like that, because apparently it was like the East Coast is where all the decisions were made in DC. So there's mm -hmm. more sophisticated over there. Um, That's a typical Hollywood attitude, I think. The really? old Yeah, the old line is something like, everyone in Washington, D.C. wishes they were making movies in Hollywood, and everyone in Hollywood thinks they're big time, wants to be in Washington, D.C. running stuff. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> well, success in this fair would increase Walt's uh, uh, confidence in Epcot. The company managed to get some important sponsorships, and the Imagineers got to work making attractions for the fair. They made four attractions, two of which were recreated and put into the parks and are actually staples in Disney parks. It's a Small World was created for Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> And the Carousel Progress was created for General Electric. So I'm sure everybody knows it's a small world. Like, yeah, Pepsi actually, like, traded on that quite a bit commercially. Like, you know, bringing the Pepsi, bringing the world together. Really? And, yeah, I didn't realize that. It's part of the brand. And oh. look at the the logo itself is Globy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. And then the Carousel Progress, uh, Rob kind of mentioned it earlier. The Carousel Progress is, like, a moving theater. So you sit in the seat, and then the theater, the 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 auditorium like moves around these different scenes and you just basically move in a big circle and every every set slash stage you go to it's like a different era and the guy talks about like all the techno technological advances that they have in the era and stuff and that's where the song big bright beautiful tomorrow comes from and which is like a huge thing in disney parks and stuff so like and also, like, they use that phrase all the time. Like, that's one of Walt's biggest quotes. It's like, oh, there's a big, bright, beautiful tomorrow at the end of every day or whatever. Um, Catchier than Little Orphan Annie. <laughs> the sun will come out tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, it's a little. Yeah, it's a little nicer. Walt's, yeah, sounds more more hopeful, really. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you're in the shit today. But... <laughs> Thanks, Little Orphan Annie. The other two attractions weren't recreated, but they inspired other things that people know and love, or at least kind of like in the theme parks. There was Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, which was made for the state of Illinois. Guests would enter an auditorium where they'd sit and see an animatronic President Lincoln give speeches. This would eventually inspire the Hall of Presidents in Disney World, which is a show where you get to hear it from every U.S. president ever and see them recreated as an animatronic. That one isn't exactly the most popular ride, but it is a nice place <laughs> to cool down. And also, like, seeing it once is like, wow, they really do look real. But then it's like, whatever. And then I haven't been in it since they put Trump in it. So, like, oh. Because he's a, he was a president. He, so. cre wasn't that created... I am a little nerdy about this. Uh, Liberty Land was in Disneyland, but he never built Liberty Land. I think that's where it was originally going to be. The Abe. I mean, after the World's Fair. Well... I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, FYI, I'm pretty sure it was. It was. I'm sure it's the same animatronic, and yeah. then maybe they were like, "Oh, but he we couldn't." Could do but all they the other they presidents. canceled Liberty Land. They they could. They didn't end up doing it. Oh, okay. So that's how it ended up getting in Disney World. Yeah, subsumed because Liberty by Disney Land World. is a thing in Disney World. Yeah, and that's where the well, Epcot America, is. right? No, in Disney in the Magic Kingdom. Oh, they yeah, have yeah. a Liberty oh. Land in the Magic Kingdom, hmm. and that's where the Haunted Mansion is, and that's my favorite. Oh. Ride. Well, almost my favorite huh. ride. I guess I never thought about it that way. That's what it's called, huh? It's called Liberty Land? I'm pretty sure. Weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And then the Hall of Presidents is there. They used to have, like, a Muppets tell the U.S. history show there, but, like, that's gone now. And then it has the Haunted Mansion, which is made in a colonial fashion. So, like, they were like, okay, let's just put it there. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, the, the style of the house. And then, fun little side fact, so all of the concrete there is, like, red, so it's, like, meant to look like clay and stuff like that, but in the center of all the streets, there's, like, this brown, like, rocky stuff, and apparently it's meant to be, like, people would throw their, like, just sewage out the window, and the sewage would, like, puddle into the middle of the road, so apparently that brown path in Disney World, in Liberty Square, is meant to be, like, the 
the sewage that <laughs> would be in that would be in the times. Gross. Yeah, very <laughs> weird. But yeah, so the poll president was okay. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> it happened. My uncle really likes it. <laughs> oh, Todd. <laughs> it was made for Todd. <laughs> The last attraction that they built for the World's Fair is the most important one. The technology created for this would be used everywhere in the Epcot designs and would create one of my favorite things in all of Disney World. And I'm so excited that I get to talk to you guys about this. (laughs) So the attraction was called the Magic Skyway, which was made for Ford. Guests would ride in a Ford Mustang, which was introduced that year at the fair. It would drive itself on an elevated track above the fair. And how the Imagineers accomplished this self-driving car is with tires on the track below and a plate underneath each car. So basically the plate would like get stuck or would be pushed into the wheels and then the wheels would push it along. And there was just like a continuous line of wheels continuously pushing this plate along and it would drag the car with it. If does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what ride this might be? <laughs> you know, don't you? I I can't remember now. <laughs> no, it's okay because I remember. I think I told you I was like, I hope this is my favorite ride. It's called the People Mover. <laughs> the yeah. People Mover. Oh it, yeah! <laughs> it is the, one of the best things in Disney World, and I'd always loved it, even as a kid. And then uh, as I grew up and I found Diz Twitter, I'm like, this like, <laughs> is what they call themselves, just people complaining about Disney on Twitter. Uh, apparently, it, like, the People Mover is a cult classic, and, like, everybody also agrees that the People Mover is the best attraction ever. So, <laughs> I was so like, they could yes. really dispense with the rest of all this hullabaloo and oh, just yeah. move people. Exactly. You know what? If anything, I'm happy Epcot gave me the People Mover, and it gave me Disney World. So Epcot's yeah. cool in my book. Yeah. But... <laughs> Hi, this is Savannah from the future. I realized I didn't actually describe what the People Mover is like in the Disney park, so let me do that for you really quick in case you're not a Disney nut like I am and don't know what the ride is like. The Ford Magic Skyway technology was taken and used with smaller, buck-shaped type vehicles and was put in Disneyland as a test for Epcot because Walt was obsessed with mass transit and he believed that this new technology would be the cure to traffic. They put the ride system in Tomorrowland and dubbed it the People Mover, and it was a huge success. Fans loved it, and it worked. A bunch of years later, they did close the People Mover in Disneyland, but Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom still has theirs, and it is the best ride ever. You enter the Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover's bright blue cars up above Tomorrowland and are taken on a tour of the entire land. It even takes you through some rides, including Space Mountain. Basically, it's a nice, relaxing, smooth ride that can carry a lot of people around one giant loop above Tomorrowland. And one last little fun fact is that Walt built a model of what he wanted Epcot to look like. And after his death, it was taken to Disneyland and could be seen after riding the Carousel of Progress. As you're hearing this song, it's a big, bright, beautiful tomorrow. You can see exactly what Walt envisioned Epcot to look like. The model was named Progress City. If you ride the People Mover today in Walt Disney World, you can actually see what's left of that very same model right as you're entering the Space Mountain section of the track. It's a really neat model, and it's only part of it. The full thing was huge, like gigantic. So the next time you're riding on the People Mover, remember you're seeing a huge part of Disney history right in front of you. All four of the Disney-made attractions were the most visited out of the entire fair and were highly praised, giving Walt even more confidence, as if he needed more of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Uh, so I guess this could be a tangent too, but um, Ray Bradbury, the guy who wrote Fahrenheit 451, is Science a fiction guy. Is a Disney adult. He loved Walt Disney, like literally loved Walt Disney. So this fair ended up not making any money. And like Walt had an argument with the dude who was like running and sponsoring the fair and was like, you need to design it like this or it's going to fail. And that dude was like, fuck off, Walt. And <laughs> and what happened to Walt? I mean, the fair fucking failed and like he went bankrupt. And Ray Bradbury came up after it and was like, the whole fair would have succeeded if Walt Disney designed the whole thing. And then he apparently like asked Walt multiple times to run for mayor of L.A. And Walt responded to him. He's like, why would I need to be mayor when I'm already king? Oh, <laughs> so, but yeah, Ray Bradbury was obsessed with Disney. And he was like, Disneyland is the best place in the entire world. He was like, it's just everything about it is just perfect. Like mm. he was literally obsessed. He was a he was the first Disney adult, probably. I mean, when you think about science fiction writers, there's an escapism to that. Oh, for sure. So it makes sense that he would get on board with this. I mean... But isn't, like, Fahrenheit 451 all about, like, it's kind of like um, that one book that everybody quotes being like, oh, it's like Big Brother or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's about censorship. But, I mean, oh, it's, it's not sunshine censorship. and roses, okay. burning of books and that kind of thing. So, gotcha. no, he's not a sunshiny guy, but I, I think, like, setting it in these alternate universes, like, that's, I think it's on brand for him to be into it anyway. Yeah, I just yeah. thought that was really weird. So... All the pieces are lined up. The fair was a huge success for Disney. He has now acquired about 30,000 acres of land in Central Florida. He has experience building an entire theme park and loosely planning a city of the arts. It's finally time for him to start planning Epcot. Well, I've talked a lot and you guys have listened to a lot of talking. <laughs> and I think that I actually need to do this in two episodes. Uh, the problem with Epcot is that Walt Disney's life is so important to have the context for Epcot that there's just so much to talk about. So, but an hour is appropriate for your commute yeah. back to and from work. For sure, <laughs> your average podcast or the time it takes to cook an elaborate dinner. <laughs> so, so I hope you enjoyed Walt's history. Sorry that the name of the pod or title of this episode is called Epcot when we didn't talk about Epcot. But anyway. Epcot uh, one. Epcot pre pre Epcot pre Epcot. I actually wrote. I like to put funny names on my scripts, so I named my script Walt Love Circles. <laughs> <laughs> the sources I use to create this episode are Walt Disney and the Promise of Progress City by Sam Genaway, and the YouTube video Walt Disney City of the Future Epcot by Defunctland, which is an absolutely amazing YouTube channel. So. Definitely, definitely check him out if you haven't already. He's wonderful. I could, I, yeah, just out of curiosity, Rob, if you're going to dress up as a Disney character, work at the, work at the park, mm -hmm. which character? Which character would I dress up as? Yeah. Hmm. I, I mean, I have some very esoteric choices. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> I, let me see if I can find one that everyone can enjoy. I would be Abu. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can leave this one to end. We don't. <laughs> the original Arabian Knight is kind of a nice character. Uh, I'm not saying that, but like, you can pick any character. Yeah, ever. I pick you the monkey. I pick the monkey who gets to watch Aladdin and Jasmine bone. That's what I pick. Uh, well, well, I mean, the, the monkey's okay. in, in the room. Air. But if yeah. you're picking. Of course he is. So is the carpet. Everybody's there. <laughs> <laughs> if you're picking a face character, that means you could just play anyone. I mean, 
not not a face character or a fur character. You could just play anyone. I don't even know is a oh, character okay. that you can even be. <laughs> you should be. You should um, be. I like. I you want me to pick a face character? With a little hat. The invest. only thing that I'm thinking of would be kind of. Oh, there is an Abu walk around character. He's yeah, kind of ugly. <laughs> Wait, what? I want to see. <laughs> see. That's terrible. Oh, that doesn't look like oh him at all. Rob, that's you. No, I don't pick that. <laughs> I don't want to be that one. No, I don't pick that. Uh, I gotta no. pick a people character. That's that's a tougher you one. You have the same like hair thing as Flynn Rider, but Peter Pan. No. <laughs> you have Getting to a be bit old for that one. Yeah, a little long in the tooth for that one. Yeah, truth be told, <laughs> this is not a job for me. I could play a few villains, maybe. Yeah, you should be um, Hades. Bell's dad. What? <laughs> you have to get really I'm short. not that old. <laughs> you could be um, Hades or Jafar. Oh, there you go. Oh, Hades. Yeah, let me be one of the Greek ones. That's a good one. Yeah. Hades is pretty cool. I like him. <laughs> well, anyway. Jafar. He also watches him bone. Oh, it's just open to everyone. I mean, he's the one that like chained her up. Yeah, yeah, he's a kinky man effort. Yeah, that's true. He was like, your outfit is not sexy enough, but we can, yeah, we can sex this up a little. Give you a ponytail, that'll do it. Now you're my harem girl. Well, well, thank you for joining us on this strange ride. Please watch your step as you exit, and remember to take all personal belongings with you. And keep your flip-flops to yourself. <laughs> watch out for gators. <laughs> so yeah. Should I bring up that I lost my flip-flop when Savannah and I were Oh my god! That was so crazy! <laughs> we were on the... Which ride was it? The haunted mansion! Oh, no. You were not keeping your feet in the car! I was not. Oh, no. I threw my... I think I went to throw my flip flop at Savannah's cousin. <laughs> then I, I lost I feel it. Like and the have... ghosts got it. <laughs> the ghosts got it. I, I don't know what I was doing with my flip flop, and you I you were sticking your foot out to try and hit their car with your foot. <laughs> so a good way to get that your is foot broken. I lost my flip flop, and then I had to do the the walk of shame with just one flip flop in the scolding hot yeah, Florida pavement. Hot. And I'm like looking for shady spots. Like <laughs> Savannah and I are like trying to find a kiosk of flip flops. We went to every store, and like none of them were selling flip flops. And we're like, we need new. Too bad you weren't in the water parks. I bet they have them. Oh yeah. And then I was just like, then we eventually found a pair of flip flops. I think I was carrying around my one single flip flop <laughs> in like a Still Disney shame. bag. Still I'm like, what I do with it? <laughs> but I think the, fun the funniest part about that entire story <laughs> is that when we got on the ride, you went to the worker who was like directing people off and you were like, I left, <laughs> I lost my shoe and they looked at you like, okay. <laughs> so I, just, I just remember their face being oh like, God. okay. <laughs> You went to like the haunted mansion character. Like those guys are in character, right? <laughs> well, they're like, I mean, they're the cast members who help you get on and off the ride. And yet they have a little bit of a character where they're like kind of mean and they're meant to look kind of scary and stuff. But yeah. So like, it would be odd for them to be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. About you stop the ride. Because <laughs> they're supposed to be like. 16 year old redhead time. lost his lip gloss. <laughs> have a spooky time. I hope you don't die out there. This girl lost her shoe. <laughs> 
fuck her off. Just picture like a family driving by and just seeing this loose flip flop totally. You know, too, that like because they clean the rides and stuff like that. So like at the end of the night, they were sweeping up and they're like, the flip Oh my god. Okay. See, this would be a good example of something for Patreon, or it could go at the end of the episode. <laughs> You can always do that. We could do Shannon's flip flop trauma. <laughs> I have a lot of Disney stories, so okay. 